for overcoming your fear. <laughs> it's easy to get up here and, uh, and do this. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people don't like public speaking, uh, and so I, uh, I commend anybody that's willing to get up here uh, and share their heart a little bit and share a prayer with us. So thank you so much, Shirley. I'm, uh, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here this morning, and I'd like to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Philippians. We are going to be continuing in our series uh, in Philippians, and I would like to, as you're doing that, just uh, again ask you, uh, our elders are meeting this Tuesday, and we're going to be uh, going over all of the feedback uh, about some of the transitions here at the church, uh, and specifically services and such. Uh, and so I would ask that you be uh, lifting them up in prayer, that there would be uh, wise decisions that are made, and that when we begin the process of communicating those things, uh, that we wouldn't just blow it. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a runner. I, I have. I've always wanted to be a runner. Now, I know that some of you are looking and saying, obviously, he has not succeeded at being a, a runner. But I, I've always been involved in sports, but then later in life, I now, my main involvement in sports is watching them. But I've always been athletic, and the one thing that I haven't ever been able to accomplish is successfully, consistently being a runner. Like, I've gone out, to sport check and different stores like that, and I've bought outfits, you know, shorts with little spandex underneath, and, and take that image out of your mind, you know, Nike running shoes or Adidas or whatever, uh, nice pair of running shoes, uh, a shirt, uh, you know, bright colors so I don't get hit. Uh, we live just down the road from the church and the, and the trail, the Lynn Valley Trail is not far from us. And so I will get all dressed up in my outfit and out I'll go and, and I'll run and uh, it'll be great. It'll be awesome. But the first 10 minutes sucks. It's like the worst 10 minutes of your life, but it gets better as you progress. And I'll do this and I'll set these goals that I want to be a runner. And then, you know, three days in, I'm doing okay. Four days in, let's take a day off. Five days in, I better download an app because I'm starting to lose this. And so I'll download an app that's going to actually electronically encourage me to be a runner. And by the end of two weeks, I'm no longer running. And I go through this cycle, this, this cycle that happens every time I decide I want to be a runner. Every year, quite literally, I go through this. My wife's nodding her head. Because I want to be a runner. The health benefits, the things that, that, that running gives me should be what motivate me to be a runner. And so why is it that I'm just never able to run the race, to, to be able to successfully be a runner? Now, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul gives us an intense running analogy about running or describing the race that Christian life is. Now, he's given us this all-consuming desire that he gives us in verse 10 of chapter 3 in Philippians to know Christ, that that's his main desire is to know Jesus. 
And he tells the Philippians in this passage today that he's not going to become stagnant with that. Remember, he's in prison and he's giving a report of how he's doing in prison. He says he's not slowing down. He's still running hard after Christ, even though he's in chains. In other words, the Apostle Paul is going to tell the Philippians in the passage today that he is not going to do what I do and progressively stop running. Like I said, he's in prison. He's struggling, yet he's still running the race. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who conduct, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Twice here, folks, Paul uses a negative to correct any misunderstanding that the Philippians may have regarding spiritual maturity, which was our subject last week and continues to be our subject this week, or in general, Paul's life in particular. Now, again, the context here is that some false teachers in Philippi have adopted a perfectionist view of spirituality. They think that in order to be a good Christian, you first have to become a good Jew. And so they, they portray this, this living Levitical law, living the laws as Mo, of Moses, that that's part of Christianity and that you need to do it to perfection before you could ever be a good follower of Christ. The, these were teachings that had everything to do with perfectly pleasing God by being perfect. We learned about this group last week, but Paul last week gave us an interesting passage because he talked about how perfect he was as a Jew. And so when we move on in this passage, Paul now is shifting to say, hey, I'm not actually in any way saying that I'm perfect, but he lists off his Jewish credentials. Kind of, we established last week that he lists off these credentials to basically say like, 
You, you guys are trying to teach this to this church, but really my resume is better than yours. You're not even pure Jews. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews and you're just not. So how can you be portraying this, this uh, religion of perfectionism in order for God to be pleased with you? Because Paul says, I'm not even perfect. I am not perfect. I'm not even close to being perfect. And Paul recognizes in our passage today that none of us will ever be perfect until we finish running the race and receive the prize of eternity with Christ. Some of our other versions state it like this, that Paul, he is straining ahead for that day, pressing forward, pushing forward, pressing in, straining, doing something that's not easy, but he's doing it anyway. You see, folks, mature people humbly acknowledge that they haven't arrived. Mature people humbly acknowledge that they haven't arrived, and the gospel has humbled the apostle Paul. The gospel has humbled the apostle Paul. Look at Paul in verse 6. In verse 6, it talks about a person who has so much zeal for his Judaism, that he persecuted the church and that he saw himself as blameless when it comes to the law. I lived my Jewish faith perfectly. Now, what a difference we see just a few verses later where he now tells us that he's far from perfect. Now, for a lot of us, we can identify with Paul in our lack of perfection. I think most of us, if we were really truly honest with ourselves, we understand that we are not perfect, that we do not live faith perfectly, and therefore we then can't call someone out on how imperfect they are living their faith, right? If we're really honest with ourselves, we all know that we're not perfect. It actually brings comfort knowing that the Apostle Paul hasn't even got this faith thing mastered himself. But... Paul does not want you to use your lack of perfection as an excuse to be like me and quit running. He says, live your faith with zeal, with passion, with compassion. Live your faith, faith under grace. In our passage today, Paul recognizes the fact that he isn't perfect, but he also uses this knowledge, this self-knowledge that he isn't perfect to propel himself forward in his Christian growth. So if you think that you're perfect, if you think that you arrived, if you think you've got Christianity all figured out, then you go have coffee. <laughs> but when you recognize you're imperfect and you recognize that you are still working through your faith, that you can actually use that to propel yourself forward in your Christian growth. Let me unpack that for you. In verse 12, he says this, but I press on to, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, Paul is saying, we're not perfect, but don't rest in that and say, oh, well, I'm just not perfect. And so I really don't have to put a lot of effort into this. I'm just 
not perfect. He, he recognizes his lack of perfection, but he continues to strive toward perfection. But the kind of perfection that he's striving toward is the only perfection that can be found in Jesus Christ. He gives us an example of what drives him to continue the race, what drives him to continue to mature in Christ. He has a, a goal, a prize that he's running toward and based on the previous passages, remember we have to take this into the context of what he's writing, that prize is a fuller knowledge of Christ and the future perfection that that knowledge brings. To Paul, if he can get to know Jesus more, he believes he will become more like him. Let me, let me simplify it very much for you. Paul literally believes you become what you know. So if you know nothing about Jesus, you will never become like Jesus. But if you aim to grow in Jesus, to grow closer to Jesus, to walk in his ways, you become his ways. So the prize is in growing in Christ is eternity with Christ. That's the finish line. Now, I've never become a consistent runner because quite frankly... I don't have the discipline to focus on that goal. Often I, to be frank, don't even actually have a goal other than I just want to be a runner. <laughs> now, I could chalk that up to, I keep failing at this because I'm not perfect. And I could have the attitude of, well, at least I tried. But I'm not sure that that's how Paul describes the discipline of running a race. Now, the New Testament, I want to digress a little bit. The New Testament writers, they use this athletic, uh, this disciplined athletic imagery to describe growing in Christ quite a bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, listen to what Paul says. He says, do you realize that in a race, everyone runs? That's great knowledge, eh? Did you know that anybody, anybody that's in a race... Running would be a good idea. But only one person gets the prize. Now, not in soccer, apparently. Because we don't keep score or give anybody. Everybody gets a prize, right? But like in real life, only one person actually gets the prize. So he says, run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. So he says, those prizes, they're useless. But we do it, why do we run our race? For an, an eternal prize. So I run, Paul says, with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I love that. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm actually doing this with a purpose. There's something behind this. I have a goal. I have a, a thing that I'm looking at that I'm aiming for when I run. I'm not just boxing myself as my shadow. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what, I sh what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, 
especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now he's going to tell us how we do that. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I want you to notice something there. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus because he's the champion and he's the one who initiates and perfects our faith. Back up a sec. Is that how we portray growing in Christ? Or do we put the burden on ourselves to say, I need to do better. I need to buy an outfit. I need to become a runner. I need to try harder. I need more motivation. I need more discipline in my faith. Except that scripture actually says that it's Jesus, you focusing your eyes on Christ, that being your goal, that he's the champion. He's the one who initiates and perfects our faith. It's not us. Then he says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The Apostle Paul, when he describes being a runner, he does a few things. He calls us to discipline because discipline matters. How many people know you're never going to be an athlete, you're never going to make the NHL, you're never going to make pro baseball, you're never like you're going to be a really crappy boxer if you just don't learn how to hit somebody. If you don't condition yourselves, like put me in a ring, I'm in trouble. Right? I'll run out of steam in the first round. You have to discipline yourself. You have to work hard. You have to set realistic goals. Do you know what I mean by that? See, I want to be a runner, but I don't set, like, I don't say, you know, today I'm going to run one kilometer. No, instead, I aim to run five on the first day. And then when I don't make it, I'm defeated. So we have to set realistic goals, and we have to meet those goals so that we can reach a bigger goal. This is basic, like, living. And this is done, Scripture says, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, not being distracted from the goal, not being distracted from where we're running, which is Christ. Then he goes on in verse 13 and 14. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Well, that's, that's a good statement. What does Paul focus on? What motivates him? What allows him to have this kind of discipline? Well, it's forgetting the past. Hmm. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Not needing to know what lies ahead, but looking forward to what lies ahead. Remember, it's in the context of Jesus, not in the context of knowing how your life is going to be the next couple days. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Some of your, your uh, interpretations will say upward prize, to look upwardly. Heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The only way, folks, that we can become a successful runner or athlete is to train hard, to focus on the main goal, which to Paul is being like Jesus. 
We'll all have setbacks. We'll all have times where we quit running. But if we need to forget those quitting moments and keep looking forward. In, I used to work, uh, I, well, I guess I still kind of do, but I worked with addiction. And some addiction programs will say that, you know, if you have a relapse, so let's say you don't use for six months, and then you have a relapse, you need to start back at the beginning again. Now, I used to both clinically and theologically argue with that because you did good for six months. Learn from that, draw from that, don't start over, don't look back and start back at the beginning. You're not a complete failure, you have had some success. Now move forward, look forward and go, yay, I got six months, next time I'm going to get seven, next time I'm going to get eight. Use that as motivation to move forward. Don't wallow in the past, don't wallow in your failure, keep your eyes fixed on the prize. We're going to have setbacks. But if I was to become a runner, I'm guessing my clothes would fit better. I'm guessing I could keep up with my teenagers. I'm guessing that my heart would be stronger. I'm guessing that my health would be better. Now, there's always variables, you negative people who are like, well, you know, they've proven that running actually could be harmful. Come on, work with my analogy here. Paul says, hold on to your progress. Don't look back. If you manage to run two weeks, you manage to run two weeks. If you manage to read half of your reading plan, hey, you read half of your reading plan, you have read half more of the Bible than you ever have in your life. Don't give up. Just keep running. This is, folks, how you become spiritually mature. You keep pressing forward even though at times you become stagnant. Anybody ever felt like that in their faith? I just feel like I'm not hearing from God anymore. I'm feeling stagnant. I'm feeling like I'm just not there. Paul says, press on. Keep looking forward. Maybe, maybe your eyes have, have lost sight of the goal and you just need to refocus a little bit, but don't dwell or wallow in that. Keep pressing forward. This is how you become spiritually mature. He says, let the Spirit propel you toward your goal of being like Jesus. The prize of spiritual maturity, folks, is Christ-likeness. This means that we have a healthy heart, a mature outlook on life. It essentially means that your life is centered on the gospel rather than yourself. But becoming a disciplined athlete is difficult. Like I've shared, you have to be disciplined and you have to practice. And if many of us were honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that we don't have that kind of discipline in our lives or in our faith. But you know why? Because we think it has to be perfect. Folks, often that's what happens and makes us quit. We think we got to run 5K the first day. It, the one of my old doctors, I have to qualify that because my doctor's here. <laughs> so it wasn't him. It was my previous doctor in Ancaster. 
I was talking to him uh, about, um, you know, I used to be an athlete. I used to be very fit, and, and so I understood how to work out and how to exercise. And, and I would say to him, like, but I just, I try, and then, like, I'm just so sore. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, Jeff, you can't at 40 years old exercise like you're 15. But you can at least get off the couch and exercise. <laughs> Sometimes we go, well, I'm not perfect. And we use that as a reason to stop running a race, too. I think Paul experienced this feeling of defeat just like we do. Sometimes we, we make Paul glow. But you got to understand this is a normal human being just like us who's trying to figure out faith just like us. And I think that he shifts gears in this passage now on purpose because he's trying to give us some, some ways on how we can grow in our faith, how we can become spiritually mature. And essentially, if we're going to become a disciplined athlete when it comes to growing in our faith, we have to learn from someone. Usually, it's from someone who has already developed the discipline that we're looking for. Let me use, continuing with my running analogy, what that means is, if I'm going to just try and learn to run between me and my iPhone, I'm probably going to fail. But if I start to hang out with runners, people who have successfully run before me, people who run marathons, I, I have a possibility that I might learn to run. But if I just hang out with a whole bunch of people who quit running, and I wallow about the fact that we can't manage to run, will I become a runner? Do you follow me? Did any of that make sense? We got to hang out with people who have run the race before us. Now, I will qualify that. Run the race well. Like not somebody that called a cab halfway through the race and faked it. That's really happened. It's a good idea, too. <laughs> Philippians verse 3, verse 17 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Paul encourages the Philippians to use him as an example, not out of arrogance. Not out of arrogance, but he's, he's just trying to encourage them to follow someone who's striving for the things that the scriptures call us to. Somebody who's got their eyes fixed on Jesus, someone who is actually running the race, who's not calling you to be perfect, but somebody who is seeking Christ-like disciplines in their lives. Often, folks, we default to following people who are just like us. Sit in a coffee shop for a little while. Listen to the conversations around you. I never do that. <laughs> we sit with people who are like-minded, who share our frustration, who are willing to take our side, 
and we gather those people together and we have coffee together and then we wonder why our mind never changes. And that's what Paul is addressing here. You have to follow those who might be intimidating to you. Like it's intimidating to me to go find uh, like a seasoned runner and say, like, I want to run with you. Because first of all, I start to, because I'm such a nice, compassionate person, I feel bad because I know I'm holding them back. Like I had one person, uh, I can't even remember who it was that told me this story, but they used to go out running with a friend, and that friend was like a marathon runner, very seasoned runner. And they would run with them for a while, and then they would let them go ahead, and their friend said, I actually fall a lap behind Every time we do a lap, I would have done two. And the friend's like, oh, like I'm holding you back. He said, no, I love it because eventually you're going to be up with me. So you don't want to follow somebody who doesn't want to be followed. So if they're too good and they don't want to pour into your life, then don't follow them because they're not worth following. But we do need to find people in our lives that become our examples. And I will recognize that in the church culture, this has become a very difficult concept. Do you know why? We have such drastic generational differences sitting in this room. I know this. I have 15-year-old kids. We, We can't be a person that's followed by another if we say, you have to do it my way. So let me use my running analogy. If I'm running with a friend who's a seasoned runner, there's things about the way he runs, he or she runs, that they're going to say, like, these are some things I've experienced, these are some things that I know work. But then there's going to be other things that physiologically work for them, but will just not physiologically work for me. Like, what if my friend is six foot nine, and I'm five foot nine? He's got an advantage with a long stride that I don't have. And so there might be techniques that I'm sounding like I actually know, eh? but I don't know a darn thing about any of this. But he may have techniques that don't work for me. And so if you are a person who is mentoring another person, please do not force them to do it solely your way. Teach them things that you've learned but let them express themselves the way that God's made them. That's part of the problem that we have in mentoring, is that it becomes our way, and you have to adopt our way. Person who's following. We struggle having humility in order to learn. Sometimes it isn't that they're trying to impose their will on us. It's that they're giving us wisdom. And we need to learn to follow that wisdom with humility instead of pushing back, understanding that maybe we've been doing it wrong. You see how difficult this is? But yet how important it is. That's what Paul's saying is, follow someone like me because I'm at least somebody who's admitting I'm not perfect and I'm somebody who's trying to seek Jesus. And let's figure out the rest together. But don't get comfortable hanging out with those that are like-minded because then you will never change. 
verses 18, he says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They bring, I love that. Their God is their appetite. <laughs> anyway, uh, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Christians who have given up running the race will still often remain in church. Christians who have given up running the race will still often remain in the church, but instead of continuing to seek Christ-likeness, they shape their lives in the ways of the world. And so Paul describes this as being an enemy of the cross, which sets you on a path for destruction, he says. And this grieves Paul because he sees it all the time. Instead of growing in faith by following good examples, Christians choose to wallow in their failure and their lack of perfection. They get sucked into spending time with grumblers. Remember the passage? I'm keeping this in context. They get stuck spending, sucked into spending time with the grumblers, those who are still in the church but suck all the joy out of the church. Those people don't get it. They're here, they're present, but they don't get it because they focus on the wrong motives, the wrong prize. Their prize is about things in this life, this right here and now, and what they get out of it. But in verse 20, Paul corrects this thinking. He redirects our focus into the prize that Scripture leads us to. He calls us to think upwardly as we run. So he's saying, don't look back, don't wallow in those things of the past. God has taken care of all those things anyway. Look upwardly, or think upwardly, as you run toward the prize. Do you, do you see that imagery of what he's saying? Keeping Christ at the center of it all and aiming for Jesus. That is the way that we mature in our faith. And then he says this, Verse 20 and 21, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we, eagerly, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Folks, our goal is to live as citizens in heaven. This is an end goal this is what we're running toward, and Christ-likeness is what matters, is what matures us for this reality. So Paul says we must learn to run in a way that points our thinking upwardly. Run in a way that points our thinking upwardly, and that this is our focus as we run straight ahead, never backwards. Now, some of us might find this athletic analogy annoying. I can't, I, to be honest, and I grew up an athlete, but the key is I grew up an athlete, but somehow there was a transition in my life where I became a couch leet. <laughs> where I'm not participating in the sports anymore, I'm just watching them. Now, I have numerous reasons for that. Like, I quit playing baseball because I wear progressive lenses. 
do not play baseball with progressive lenses, right? Because you're doing this when you're looking up in the air, and then you get a ground, and you lose the ball, and then it comes back, and then you get a grounder, and it's coming, it's coming, and all of a sudden, it's huge. (laughs) I'm guessing that the athletic analogy can be annoying. I get it. I get it. And a lot of the things that we've probably been cultivated in our lives about faith and about what being a good Christian really is are are not a lot of these things that Paul talks about. But I want you to hear what he's, he's actually doing here. Like, think of the health benefits of running, for instance. They far outweigh the challenges, don't they? Now, I'm also guessing that many of us feel frustrated when the preacher stands up and says, you know, essentially, folks, you need to become a more disciplined Christian. And I think we would be, it would be a failure this morning if that is what you walked out with. You know, I just need to try harder. I just need to be more disciplined. I just, because you're missing the fact that he says that that is Christ's work in you. So this is what I want to do this morning in order to close this service. I'm not going to give you a big idea. What I'm going to give you, for those of you that don't know, I usually end the service with a big idea. It gets everybody angry because they spent 40 minutes to then summarize it in one sentence. I find a lot of joy in it. I'm going to give you five big ideas, five points. Here's the things, and they're going to come up on the screen because you can write them down. Here is this passage in a nutshell for you. Here is the formula. If you're a systems person, here it is. This is how you mature in your faith. Number one, humbly acknowledge that we haven't arrived. Humbly acknowledge that we haven't arrived. Never claim perfection. Humbly acknowledge that we haven't arrived. Number two, passionately pursue greater knowledge of Christ. You are going to have to work for this. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to come closer to Jesus, you are going to, with humility, so understanding you're not going to do it perfectly, it's the perfect thing that stops us from doing it, passionately pursue greater knowledge of Christ because you become what you know. Now, this is number three. I actually think the highlight of all of these five points. Never lose the wonder of the gospel. Never lose the wonder of the gospel. I fear that we often, over time, lose the wonder of the gospel because we're trying to study Jesus. But the wonder of the gospel has mystery attached to it. It has a lot of things that we don't understand, that we can't can't comprehend. But never lose the wonder of the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for you and I, that Jesus Christ conquered death, conquered sin, offers forgiveness, offers grace for you and I, and we don't deserve a lick of it. That's the wonder of the gospel, folks, and never lose that. When we start to lose that and we make it about other things, we've lost track of what faith is all about. It's all centered on the gospel. Everything we do, every conversation we have, every decision we make as a church, as an individual, it all has to be centered on the good news of Jesus Christ. Number four, follow cross-centered, heavenly-minded 
examples. Now, I phrase that like that on purpose because that eliminates some of our examples. Follow cross-centered, so they're, they're always in awe of the wonder of the gospel. Cross-centered, heavenly-minded examples, people that are living their lives centered on the cross and that are thinking of eternity, not what it gets them. And number five, live in light of your true citizenship. Paul established it for us in this passage. We aren't actually citizens here on earth. Our true citizenship citizenship, is, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, heavenly. So don't hold on to this life so tightly. Embrace the goal of being with Jesus. Now, each of these things, one step at a time, can help us become disciplined runners in faith, people who are seeking Jesus. The worship team can join me. I want want you to hear this. Messy people who sometimes take a step backward and mess up and get frustrated. I'm describing Christians. Yet by the grace of God, we can jump back into the race and not start back at the beginning. Messy people who sometimes take a step backward and mess up and get frustrated, but by God's grace, we jump back into the race and we keep on running and we don't go back to the beginning. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. He opened up the opportunity for us to be in a relationship with him, messiness and all. If you're like me and you keep trying to become a runner, but you never seem to get there, I pray that you find encouragement in what Paul taught us today. And please don't hear Paul wrong in this. He's not perfect and he's not expecting you to be. We're all running a race. We're all in different places in that race. But hear this. If you hear nothing else, we are all covered under the same cross. We are all covered under the same grace, and that grace allows us to run at our pace. Thank goodness for the cross. Thank goodness for Jesus. And thank goodness that we don't need to be perfect. Let's pray. Father,